And now turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, Titus chapter 3. Again, if you're using a pew Bible, that's going to be found on page 1,272. 1,272. We've come to our end of our series in the book of Titus. Admittedly, it's gone about double the time that I thought it would take us to get through the book. But here we are in verses 12 through 15, where the Apostle Paul gives final instructions and greetings. Before we read our sermon text this morning, verses 12 through 15 of Titus chapter 3, I want to pray that the Lord would help us apply this word to us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word the word in which we just read together in Psalm 7, the word that we are about to read together in Titus chapter 3. We thank you, Lord, for the 20 weeks that we've spent in this marvelous book that has taught us about ourselves and taught us about what a godly church looks like. And so as individuals, Lord, as a church, we pray that we would pursue the paths of righteousness, that we would adorn the gospel with our daily living, that we would be faithful unto you performing good works, being reverent, and being full of awe at your word so that we might be living Ebenezer's, living testimonies of your goodness, your faithfulness, your praise to a lost and dying and sin-filled world. Father, we do pray that we would pay careful attention to the words that we read in Psalm 7, the words that we're about to read in Titus chapter 3, that by your Holy Spirit you would apply it to our daily living. And that you would encourage us, Lord, not only to repent and believe so that the righteousness of Christ can be counted to us, but that we would not prove ourselves to be hypocrites, to be liars, but that if we say that we know Christ, we will live according to His commandments. And so, Lord, we do pray for a time in Your Word that we hear the Word of God, that we receive it with meekness, and that then we go and live it out. So give us ears so that we might hear, Lord. Through your Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. Well, again, reading the final verses in Titus chapter 3, 12 through 15. Paul, writing to his disciple Titus, says, When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help causes of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now, admittedly, when we're reading our Bibles, maybe you've set out at the beginning of the year to read your Bible throughout this year. When it comes to these little portions of God's Word, like the closing sentences of the Apostle Paul's letter, when he's rambling on about these people, about these places that we don't know where they are, and we don't know who they are, it, we, we kind of haphazardly glance over them and move on and say, well, where's the application for us in this, well, I'm here to tell you 
that most of the time when we come to the end of Paul's letter, there is more application in his closing sentences than arguably there has been within the whole book. Because what he's doing here in the last verses of this letter to his disciple Titus is that he's holding out for us examples of the messages that he has been given to us throughout this 20 weeks together as we've explored this book as a church on Sunday mornings. He has taught us about how to live faithful lives, hasn't he? Faithful lives that are doing exactly what the Lord has commanded. He's talked to us about living lives that are reverent and full of awe when it comes to worshiping the Lord in the splendor of holiness, how to approach His Word. He, he has taught us about how to live daily lives that aren't you know, overly shocking to anyone, but just simply faithful. He's taught to us about all these things, and He's saying, if I could culminate everything that I have taught you in this letter, let me emphasize it by holding out to you these men, Artemis, Tychicus, Zenos, and Apollos, because these are men worthy of your imitation. These are men who have received my message of being a faithful Christian, belonging to a faithful church. These are men who summarize, their lives summarize the exposition that I have given you. So look at them and mimic them or imitate them. Now one of the things that you might have noticed as we've read through these names is probably Apollos is the only name that you've ever encountered. We know something about Apollos, that he was a devout follower of Paul. We know that he was discipled by, by other converts of the faith under the ministry of Paul. We, we know that Apollos, some scholars argue that he is actually the author of the letter of Hebrews. And so he was very prevalent within the New Testament church. But what about these other men? What about these men, Artemis, Tychicus, Zenos? Really, the only thing that we know about Zenos is that he's a lawyer, because Paul tells us that here within our text. We know a little bit about Tychicus because he has a funny name, one, but also two. He was the carrier of Paul's letters. We know from Paul's writing that he delivered the letter to the church at Colossae and also to the church at Ephesus. But beyond that, we know nothing even about Tychicus. And we know zero about Artemis. The only time Artemis is mentioned in the New Testament is right here when Paul says that he is sending Artemis to Titus. And when he is received by Titus, he's supposed to go with Artemis back to this city of Nicopolis. But that's all we know. And you say, well, why would Paul write about these men that nobody knows. And even more, why would the Lord Jesus, as He inspires Paul to write these words to us for our Bibles, why would Paul and the Holy Spirit think that it matters for us to mention these names that have very little details about them? Well, it's exactly the message of Titus. That there is no radical living by Artemis, Tychicus, Zenos, Apollos. 
There's nothing radical or flashy about their lives. We don't even know much about them. And yet, they are counted here as faithful examples of what Christians are supposed to look like and are supposed to be doing. These are men who are not only disciples of Paul, trusted disciples of Paul, that's very important to understand that they are trusted disciples of Paul, but they are faithful Christians who are living out the gospel no matter what the call of the Christian life may be. You know, sometimes when we think about great people of the faith, successful men, successful women of the faith, we we think about Christian biographies that we have read or, or these supernatural missionary stories in which we love. We might even think about the Apostle Paul and this great conversion that he experiences on the road to Damascus where his eyes are open to the gospel but actually the brightness of Christ blinds his physical eyes. That he was going to murder Christians in Damascus but then he meets the living Lord. And we think about these conversions and we think about these stories and and we think, well, you know what? My Christian life is pretty dull. My Christian life is pretty boring. No one's going to think about little old me in 100 years, 200 years. Actually, I received a text message in the kind providence of the Lord this morning from a pastor friend of mine. He said, Matt, nobody will probably be talking about what you say in the sermon you're about to preach 200 years down the road. But don't let that discourage you. Just faithfully preach the word. And there's something to that message for ordinary Christians. These men, Artemis, Tychicus, Zenos, Apollos, they are ordinary men, but for the Lord, they are men to be celebrated. They are men to be recorded in a book for us on February 11th, 2021 to read, to to set forth as an example. These are men who have lived in faithfulness, so they have been recorded for us as prime living illustrations of what it looks like. Yeah, nobody might know anything about you in 200 years, but the Lord knows your name, and that's the best gift that you can ever be given. That's the message that's coming before us, even in these names in which we don't know anything about in the first couple of verses of these final instructions and greetings within the Apostle Paul's letter to his disciple Titus. And what lessons have we learned about these men examples? Well, they are men who love sound doctrine. They are men who do not give an inch to false teaching. They are men who love living out the gospel in their spheres of influence. You know, one of the things about Zenos here, that he's a lawyer, means that he is very well educated. It probably means he owns his own practice because that is the only way in the ancient world that you could actually be considered a lawyer. There wasn't law firms with multiple lawyers on staff, but there was a single lawyer within each and every city, and it was that he owned what we would say his own practice in that city. And so this man would have employees. This man would be... Uh, a high-ranking official. And he says, Zenos has been faithful. Apollos has been faithful. 
Tychicus, Artemis, they've all been faithful in the spheres in which they have led and lived their lives. And that has been the message of Paul. So much so that he gives us that message again in verse 14. If Paul in verses 12 and 13 were giving us examples of faithfulness, well here he's given us a final instruction of faithfulness in verses 14 and 15. Because here he says, we must let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. It's an interesting language that the Apostle Paul uses here in verse 14. It's much different than the language that he's used with good works in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Because here, this idea of learning means that he must engage himself in good works and not only engage, actually do good works, but he must study what it means to do things that are scripturally commanded and scripturally defined as good. We were speaking this morning in Sunday school about working out your own salvation. We were talking about how the apostles in the New Testament have called us to live lives of obedience, that we should be striving to live a Christ-like life, that we should be striving to live in the ways of holiness. And it can, it, it, it it takes a little work to do that, doesn't it? It, it takes work, it takes discipline to, to move towards the goal of, of holiness, to move towards the goal of Christ-likeness in our daily lives. And in the same way, Paul's saying here, this idea of learning to devote themselves to good works, we must strive to be a people who are living out and out for Jesus. Because that is how we are living adornments of the gospel. Because if you were with us last week as we were thinking about these things of good works and not giving an inch to false teaching and the sort, you, you'll remember how we spoke of this idea that, that the Apostle Paul is very concerned with the idea that the people of God would not be hypocrites in the island of Crete. That they would not say that they belong to a church, that they would not say that they belong to Jesus, but then to live like a wild and sin-filled world. He wanted there to be a distinguishable difference between the people of the world and the people of Christ. Those who belong to the kingdom of darkness and those who have been transferred into the kingdom of light. And so he's saying here, we must learn, devote ourselves to good works, and this, this idea that we should be doing it more and more. We should be doing more and more to live out the gospel in our daily living. And we should be striving to do what the Lord has commanded for us to do in His Word. We should be doing good as defined by the Scriptures. Because quite frankly, we live in a sin-filled world that has defined good, has defined right in a different way that God has defined good, and that God has defined as right. And so we cannot be blown by the cultural winds that tempt to blow us to and fro, but we must be grounded in biblical definitions of what it means to perform good works. And what it means to be living adornments for the gospel. What it means to stand for truth. 
as the Word of God defines truth and what it means not to give an inch to false teachers, but to actually hold the line for Christ and His Gospel. You'll notice even as the Apostle Paul talks about good works here in verse 14, if you'll let your eyes fall back there, these good works, he defines them as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. There's a way in which good works, they culminate in this idea of loving neighbor and loving God. Isn't that the summary of the Ten Commandments? Jesus Himself summarizes it that way when the lawyer comes before Him and says, Lord, how am I to receive eternal life? And the Lord says, well, you have heard the law. And you know that it says you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. And here, the Apostle Paul has that in mind as he's talking about these cases of urgent need, loving neighbor, and not be unfruitful, meaning a Christian life is one that is fruitful, glorifying Christ. So the Christian life will be one that loves God and loves neighbor, that devotes themselves to doing those things. Not to earn a salvation, of course, but but so that we might be living demonstrations of faithfulness, right? You say, well, you know, that seems so basic, Matt. That seems so simple. It seems unattainable, yes. It's a goal that we should be striving for, yes. But doesn't those commands seem so simple? Love God, love neighbor. And yes, it does. There's a simplicity within the gospel message, and there's a simplicity within the call of being a faithful Christian. It's simply to love God, love neighbor. And then in verse 15, In verse 15, we think about this this second kind of final instruction. Not only are we to devote ourselves to good works and to learn how to do that more and more for the glory of Christ and for the good of our neighbor, but verse 15 is interesting. I want to read it again for you. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Now you might not think there's anything there, but the Apostle Paul is actually instructing Titus in chapter 3, verse 15, to follow a theme that he established in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. If you'll just take your Bibles, flip back to Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Twenty weeks ago, or something of the sort, twenty sermons ago, when we handled this text, we started with looking at Paul, who was was a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We talked about how he was enslaved. He has enslaved himself to doing the will of God. That he's an apostle. That he has a special calling from the Lord. And what is this calling of the Lord? Following the will of the Lord. Striving for Christ-likeness. What is it for? It's for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. We talked about how the ministry of the Apostle Paul and the, and the disciple of the Apostle Paul, Titus, young Titus the church planner, 
Everything that they did was for the sake of God's people. Everything that they did was for the sake of God's people. They are doing their job. They are seeking out the Lord's will. They are performing the roles of a servant before the Lord, a bondservant, you might say, also that the, the elect of God might grow in faith and their knowledge of the truth, which accords to godliness. And then he goes on in verse 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Everything that is done by the servants of the Lord is first and foremost for the sake of God's people. You know, one of the things in which we could get captivated about here is to think about how the Apostle Paul references God's children, God's people as God's elect. And we could think about the doctrine of election, and we could think about the complexities of how that works, and, and the mystery of, of how God in His predetermined wisdom and providence elects some to salvation, but then elects some to everlasting judgment. We could, we could debate those things, wrestle with those things, but... But actually, the Apostle Paul says that's actually not what matters here. The ministry of the servants of God is so that we might be built up in the knowledge of God, which accords with what? Godliness. That accords with godliness. The same principle is being established here for us in verse 15. All that are with me, God's people, send greetings to you. And you are to greet those who have loved us in the faith. Meaning, the brothers and sisters. You see, what the Apostle Paul is trying to get to here at the very end of his letter to Titus is that the emphasis of the Christian faith is godliness. And that godliness is for the benefit of the believers first. Well, Matt, didn't you just say that the reason in which we live godly lives is so that we might adorn the gospel? Yes, it absolutely is. But the best place, the most prevalent place, the most important place for us to be here is living adornments of the gospel is not outside in the world, but actually right here together. You say, well, Matt, why would that be so? We're all Christians here. Why do we need to be living adornments of the gospel for each other? So that we can do the very thing that the Proverbs say, so that we might sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. As the author of Hebrews says, that we might encourage one another with the gifts that God has given. So that we might find joy in being here and not neglect the assembly of the believers, but that we might come and be filled with joy that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are living out the gospel alongside of us, only then, you understand, will we be encouraged and set a fire for the gospel to go out and to live like Jesus. Because if we're not sharpening one another, 
We're not even hearing the word preached with one another as mentioned in Titus chapter 1. If we're not strengthening and encouraging one another, what will soon happen is the, the shine of the adornments of the Gospel will grow dull. But here, we polish so that we might be the light into the dark places. So that we might see, see Jesus and hear from Him as His Word is preached, who is the light of the world. You see, it's here that we gain our glow or our reflection, you might say. And so Paul is saying to Titus, focus in upon the church. Focus in upon God's elect. Focus in on your brothers and sisters in Christ. And don't you worry. When you focus upon what I've told you to focus on, the world will benefit from it. Because we will be more radiant. And in that, in that radiance, we will go shine light as the lamp shines light to the house. And then simply and lastly, there at the end of verse 15 is a short benediction. Grace be with you all. It's a proclamation of God's grace, God's favor, God's mercy. And it's something that we actually see in the life of Titus because he will actually go, as we see in verse 12, he'll go to this city of Nicopolis. Nicopolis will be the place in which Paul is arrested and then ultimately led to Rome where he'll be martyred for the Christian faith. And Titus will go back to the island of Crete. And he will die after a faithful ministry at the age of 94. And through the message of Titus, and through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, a church is established there that shines light into the dark places. It's a, it's a church throughout all of those cities that reflect the grace of God in a wild and sin-filled world. It was a church, all the historians agree, it was a church that was reverent, serious about Christ and His commandments, pure in doctrine and life. They weren't pushovers who tolerated anything false that stood against the Scriptures, but they were a church that stood firmly upon the Word of God. And they were a church that made an impact for Christ's kingdom. May the Lord do that very thing within us at First Presbyterian Church. May He use us as we are faithful to Him to impact the kingdom of Jesus now and to eternity. Amen. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we do thank You for our time in Titus. And we thank You, Lord, that Your Word goes out and not returns empty to us. And so, Father, we do pray that we as a church would be set afire with the gospel so that we might be living adornments of your gracious care for us. First, for one another, that we might encourage one another and sharpen one another. And then, Lord, for the world around us, that as we catch the glow of the light of the world, Jesus, that we would go into the dark places of Dylan and beyond, and that we would shed the light of Christ and that you would draw men, women, and children unto yourself. Father, we do pray that you would make application to us according to your word. We pray, Lord, that it would convict where it ought to convict, encourage where it ought to encourage, for thy sake and for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray that you would do a work in us as individuals, as families, 
and as a covenant family of First Presbyterian. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.